Welcome to the Simple Church Podcast. We'd like to thank you for taking a few moments out of your day to listen to what God is doing here in Reynoldsburg, Ohio. We hope today's message will be encouraging and uplifting to you. To learn more about Simple Church, maybe you'd like to be our guest for a service, please visit our website at www.simplechurchohio.com. There you'll find more information about us, location, service times, and even online giving opportunities. And now, here's today's message. This Easter, I have just a simple thought that I hope will be impactful to your life. Because when we think about this holiday, there's really two parts to Easter, right? There's the Friday, which we call Good Friday. That's the day that Jesus went to the cross, which, by the way, that would be uh, that day would be anything but good for him, right? Because it was probably his worst day ever that he faced um, as he was publicly ridiculed, as he was mocked and beaten, his beard pulled from his face, his, he was spit upon and then ultimately crucified, tortured, and then died on the cross. That was a pretty rough day. And um, to boot, he was abandoned by his friends, betrayed by some of them. It was a rough day. For Jesus. So it wasn't much of a good Friday, but, but we know all about that. We know about what Friday was. And then Sunday, of course, is, is the resurrection, the day that Jesus rose from the dead. Both of these two events equals this weekend celebration, right? But here's the thing. I think a lot of us identify with and understand the Friday experience. Like we get it, but I don't think we quite understand Sunday. We understand that Jesus on Friday had to die. The reason he had to die is because the, the penalty of sin is death. That's what the Bible says. And all of us were born sinners. We have a sin nature. We sin. Now, you have to stop thinking that, 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 that this thing is such a terrible word. What it means simply, sin means, is missing God's best for your life. And we all sin in some way, shape, or form. And the Bible says that the payment of that or the penalty of that is death, death in our life, eternal death and separation from God. There's a price to be paid for our sins. But Jesus, who lived a perfect and sinless life, was able to give his life in in substitution for ours. In other words, he was able to pay the price for us so that we didn't have to go to hell, so that we could be forgiven. And it was ultimately what we see is God's love on display for our lives. Now, I know the pushback to this. I know the stories that we tell and the things that we talk about. You say, well, if God is so loving, Aaron, why is there sin in the first place? Why is there a heaven and is there a hell? Why do people go there? Listen, I need to help you understand that the hell is not a place that God sends people he's angry with. Hell is a place where people go because they want to pay for the, sin, for the sins of their own life. Like they choose to pay the price themselves, and that's why they go there. You don't have to pay it, though. In fact, I think it's silly for us to try to pay a debt that's already been paid. Amen? It's silly for us to try to do that, and yet we try to do that. It's like going to a restaurant. I don't know if this has ever happened to you, but it's happened to me where at the end of the meal, you ask for the check, and the the waiter comes by and says, no, everything's already been paid for. That's a really great surprise, right? That feels really nice. But you insisting on paying for your own sins is like saying to that waiter, no, go ahead and bring me my check. I insist on paying it. How are you going to do that? And why would you do that? So I, I don't think we need to do that. And, that, and, and that's, that's what Jesus did for us. He paid the price for us. And here's the thing. It's not necessary to join the church to get in on that. Jesus asked one thing from us in order to receive that. Because he gave his life fully for us, He asks us to give our lives fully to him. 
Now, that's the reality of the Friday part, and I think a lot of you understand that, and I hope that if you haven't experienced that yet, that you'll leave here today having had experienced that. But here's the thought, though. If Friday was so powerful, if Friday was so complete, if Friday is the day that Jesus paid the price, why did Sunday have to happen? Why was it even needed? Why did Jesus need to rise from the dead? Why was that needed? Well, I think there's a lot of reasons. The first one was to prove that he really was who he claimed to be, right? Because here's the thing. It's one thing to make claims about something. It's one thing to say that you can do something. It's a whole other thing to back it up. And many of you know people in your life that claim to be one thing, but they're really another. Well, they say they'll do one thing, but they don't do that. It's one thing to make claims and then to back it up, right? And Jesus did that. He said, here's what's going to happen. I'm going to die, and then I'm going to rise from the dead. And then he dies, and guess what? He rose from the dead. I think that's pretty boss. I think that if somebody does that, if they predict their death, they die, and they predict their resurrection, and they go ahead and do that, that's somebody you ought to listen to, right? That's somebody worth going, huh, what's that guy got to say? The thing is, is there is no other God that has ever done that. There's no other God that predicted that they would die and rise from the dead. Only Jesus. That's what makes our God unique. And honestly, that's what makes God my God. Now, I know the pushback to this. There's skeptics in the room. I know that. There's people that would say, well, that's just part of your lore. That's just part of your myth. That's the story that you tell that's attached to the belief that makes you feel good about yourself. No, it's not. It's actually part of history. Jesus was a real person. The Jews are a real people that existed in history. In fact, Jesus was recorded as being alive historically, and so was his death. Oh, yeah, and so was his resurrection. There were over 400 people through history that witnessed him alive after he died. 400 people. In fact, Luke even said this in Acts 1. He said, after his suffering, he presented himself to them and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. Now, that's a powerful testimony. Jesus did all this to prove that he was who he said he was, but that's not where I want to focus today because there's another reason why he did this. Why did Jesus rise from the dead? Well, from those of you, from those, there are those of you that know the Friday experience. Here's the other reason why he rose from the dead, to conquer death for himself and for us. See, Jesus, Jesus, he, he, he did this not just for himself, not just so that he could be alive. He did this for your benefit as well. And Easter can't just be about celebrating what happened historically, although it's good that we do and we should and we are. But there's more to Easter. Easter exists to provide power for you to come alive as well. See, Jesus conquered death for himself and for you. He even says that in the book of Revelation Jesus said, I am he who lives and was dead, and behold, I'm alive forevermore. Amen. See, Jesus, I like this. I think it's funny. Jesus gets so worked up over this, so excited that he starts shouting himself down, saying amen for himself, because ain't nobody around to say it for him, right? I get that. Some Sundays, you all come in here, and you're super tired, or you ain't had enough coffee yet, and you're just sitting there like this, and I'll just start shouting for myself. That's okay. I'm good. I get excited like that. I understand. (laughs) Amen. Thank you. I appreciate that. Okay. Then he goes on to say, and I have the keys of Hades and death. Hades is just another word for hell. So Jesus is saying, hey, listen, I'm alive, and I've got the keys to death, hell, and the grave. 
And that's an important thing for you to understand. First, you need to know that Jesus defeated the devil so bad, he ain't even got keys to his own house no more. And, seriously, and it's important that you understand that Jesus has those keys because keys are used for unlocking things. For unlocking things. Jesus was resurrected to have power to unlock death for everyone. Many of you have had the Friday experience where you've encountered Jesus, you've met him, but you're walking around with death in your life. You're walking around and your marriage is in ruins. Your finances are in ruins. Your emotions are in ruins. Your kids are a mess and so are your relationships. You're walking around with death in your life. You've celebrated Easter. You've just never experienced it. But there's more for you. There's resurrection power that is available for you and God desires to breathe life back into every part of your life. So that's why the Bible doesn't just tell us to get saved. That's why the Bible doesn't just tell us to join a church. It's because there's more. Paul knew that. Paul's one of the, the uh, thanks, man. Paul's one, I'm getting sweaty up here. That's what's happening. You want to put that on eBay and uh, sell that. That's <laughs> There's more. Paul said it this way, and he's, a, he's one of the disciples of Jesus, and he wrote most of the New Testament. That's the second half of your Bible. He said this in Philippians. He said, I want to know Christ, he said, but I also want to know the power of his resurrection. See, I want to get to know Jesus, see, because he knows me really well. I want to get to know him. I want him to be my buddy. I want him to be my best friend. But I also want to know the power that's available to me. Paul said, there's both. I want more. So I have some simple questions for you today. Here they are. Do you know Christ? Like, have you had the Friday experience? If not, you can know him in just a moment, like a moment that we call prayer, or more clearly, to break it down for you, it's a conversation, a conversation that you can have with God that will change everything, that just like the video you can have the very trajectory of your life and your eternity forever changed in a moment. In one decision, you can know Jesus and have your sins forgiven, and all of it will change. And a lot of you are here today, you've had the Friday experience. You know that. But the biggest question is, do you know the power of his resurrection? After saying yes to Jesus, did you allow him to come into your life and confront the areas and the parts of your life that are dead and or dying? Like, did you let Jesus do that? Because I think many of you would say, I love God, I'm going to heaven, but my life is in ruins. Or even if I say yes today, my life is still in shambles. Or maybe some of you would say, well, yeah, I'm saying yes to Jesus, but my marriage is, is just too far gone. Or maybe you'd say, you know what, my choices are what they are, and now I'm scarred for life. Or maybe you'd say, my life has been laid out for me based on the decisions that I've made. I'm saying yes to Jesus, but nothing can really change this. We just come to a place where we simply accept that our lives are in ruin, that God is good, I love Jesus, and I love my church, but I'm ruined. I'm ruined. If you look at Webster's Dictionary for the definition of ruin, it says this. The first definition is, something reduced to a state of decay, collapse, or disintegration. I think that's the state of our lives, but I, I like the second definition better. It says, the disastrous disintegration of someone's life. I think that's a description of a lot of our lives. We know Jesus, 
but our lives are disastrously disintegrated. It kind of reminds me of a story. There's a cathedral in St. Andrews, Scotland. It started being built in the early 1200s, and uh, this is a picture of it here. It started being built in the 1200s, and by the year 1318, it was completed and consecrated for the use of Christian service. They would, they, would have, they would have weekly services there and help the needy and the poor. And they got 60 years use out of this building until it burned. Shortly after it burned, they got their funds together and they started to rebuild the cathedral again, only to have a short time later have a, a neighboring country come in and ransack the city and destroy the cathedral again. It's interesting to me how this cathedral was built, torn down, built, torn down, built, torn down multiple times. And at some point in time in the 1600s, they simply decided to stop trying. They just simply decided to accept this is how things are. And to this day, this is what this cathedral looks like. It's in ruins. And I think that's a picture of some of our lives. We've simply just decided this is who we are. The yes, I know Jesus, I'm going to heaven, but nothing can change the fact that my life is in ruins. Nothing can change the fact that, that I'll try, but I've ruined it again, or that my finances, I'm trying to get them in order, but I wound up in, in bankruptcy, or, or maybe even for students, I'm trying to get a good grade, but I've just done run out of time. Or, or even people say, I try to make good choices, but I did a foolish thing that's kind of holding me back. You know, something being ruined is an absolute fact, unless, unless you have resurrection power that can bring all things dead back to life. Now, only with Jesus can that happen. Only with Jesus can the dead things in your life be brought back. You need to believe that today. I need you to believe that today. In fact, here's a prayer from Ephesians that I've been praying for you all week. This is Paul again praying for the people at Ephesus. He said, I pray that you will begin to understand how incredibly great his power is to help. See, that's what the power is there for. It wasn't just there as a one-time thing to raise Jesus from the dead. The, the resurrection power that is there is there to help. Help who? I'm glad you asked. The verse goes on. It says to help those who believe him. And then it goes on to tell you, in case you had any doubts, it's the same mighty power that raised Jesus from the dead, by the way. Like in case you had any questions, the power that raised Jesus from the dead is available to raise the dead things in your life as well. That power is available for your marriage. It's available for your emotions. It's available for your morals. It's available for your finances. It's available for you. And I understand that that's hard to believe, but it's true. I also understand that you expect me to say that because I'm a preacher. I get that too. I understand but here's what you need to do. Here's what I would ask you to do. Just spend a little time here at this church. Spend a little time here talking to the people sitting next to you. Get to know somebody and start asking them about their story, and here's what you're going to find. You're going to find that there are people here in this church that came to this church with addictions that are now broken. You're going to find people that came to this church, their marriage was over and has now been restored. You're going to find people whose families were broken and have now been mended and put back together. You're going to find people who did the unforgivable and are now forgiven and forgive others. You're going to find people who were broke and bankrupt and are now experiencing financial health. 
You're going to find people who are emotionally bankrupt, angry and bitter, who now understand how to love and give love freely. You're going to find people who had no hope because of the things that they've done in the past that God could ever use them to do anything. And you'll find that they have callings and purpose that has been restored. You only need to spend a little bit of time here in this church, and you will find them. In fact, all these stories you'll find in individual people, but you'll know where you'll find all of those stories? Right here, because everything I just said is my story. That's my story. I was broken. There is a Friday experience, but there's a Sunday experience, and God wants to bring your ruins back to life. And that's the invitation today. That's the invitation that we extend to you. You need to understand that resurrection is a journey. It's not a moment. Salvation is a moment. You can have the Friday experience in a moment. But the resurrection journey, the Sunday experience, that takes some time. And God wants to bring your ruins back to life. He wants to see your life restored. In fact, Jesus was all about this. Early on in his ministry, Jesus was known to go to the tabernacle and to teach. He was known to go there and and open up what was their Bible at the time. It would just be these scrolls that were books of the law, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, like the whole first part of the Bible, or prophetic letters as well. And in these prophetic letters, they would speak about the future of Israel, but oftentimes they spoke about the coming of the Christ or the Messiah, Jesus. And so Jesus walks into the tabernacle and asks for the prophet Isaiah's scroll, And he opens up to the place, and Jesus begins reading it. When he's done reading it, he sits down, and he says, today, this is all fulfilled in your ears. In other words, what I just read is available to you now. He said, because I'm here, you get all this. And now let me read to you what he read to him. Isaiah 61, he said, the spirit of the sovereign Lord is on me because the Lord has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. Now, he wasn't talking about financially poor. He was talking about the, the, uh, the people that are bankrupt in their souls. And he says, I'm here to preach good news. We call it the gospel, but ultimately, this is a message of salvation. It's the Friday experience that Jesus died, would die for our sins. He said, I come to proclaim good news, but he doesn't leave us there. The next thing he says is, he sent me to bind up the brokenhearted. In other words, the areas of your life that are broken, Jesus was sent to deal with those as well, to proclaim freedom for the captives and release from darkness for the prisoners. So there's this moment that you receive a gift of salvation But there's also this process that you need to walk through where God heals all the places in your life where you've been hurt. The verse continues and says, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn and provide for those who grieve in Zion, to bestow on them, watch this, a crown of beauty instead of ash. I like that because he's saying, hey, listen, I know that your life is a pile of ash. I know that your life is a pile of ruin, but if you'll walk through this process with me, what I'm gonna do is restore it, your life to something beautiful. Then he goes on to give other comparisons that are beautiful just like that, the oil of joy instead of mourning. He says, hey, I don't, I'm not just looking to save you. I'm not just looking to rebuild your life. I'm looking to make something beautiful out of your life, a garment of praise instead of a spirit of despair. And then he talks about us in a very interesting way. He says, listen, your life was ash, but you know what I'm going to have you do? They'll call you oaks of righteousness. In other words, big, tall trees, strong and mighty. Something to marvel at. In fact, he says that, a planting of the Lord for the display of his splendor. Listen, here's the deal. I know that every single one of us wind up in a place in our lives where where we're experiencing ruin. That's either because of our choices 
or because of something that life handed to us, something happened, circumstances beyond our control. And that happens. But what Jesus does is he take, turns our lives into great oaks. In other words, he turns them into something that when people look at it, they go, only God could have done that. But Jesus doesn't stop there. <laughs> he not only wants to save you, he not only wants to heal you and restore you to something beautiful, but now he wants to use you. Check it out. The verse continues with the final part and says, they, talking about you, he says, they will rebuild the ancient ruins and restore the places long devastated. In other words, now that you've been rebuilt, your life has turned into something beautiful, God is going to use your life to make a difference in someone else's life, that you're going to be somebody that rebuilds. Goes on to say, and they will renew the ruined cities that have been devastated for generations. Man, I like that. That means that you and I, God wants to use our lives to help break the curse of a generation in someone else's life. You say, what's a curse of a generation? Come on, you know what that is. Every member in your family has been married and divorced over and over again. Every member in your family has struggled with addiction. Every member of your family has squandered their finances and their resources, and you come from brokenness and poverty. You know what a generational curse is. God's called you to begin working and restoring other people's lives and breaking that curse in their life because of what he wants to do in your life. Come on, somebody. I can get a better amen than that. Somebody grunted something over here. I heard it. I'm preaching better than you're grunting. I'm just saying. <laughs> Thanks, John. But listen, Easter's not an event. It's an invitation to a process where God wants to rebuild and restore your life. Your ruins can come back to life, in, and you need to believe that. You say, well, how, Aaron? I'm so glad you asked. That's the rest of my notes and this message. Here it is. In that passage that I just read you, there are four steps, four things that I'd like you to consider. And the very first one is deep. So go with me here, okay? If you're new to all this, just hang on. If you're carrying your own sins and dying from the weight of them, this is deep. Stop dying. I know that's deep. But just stop dying. If you're taking notes, write it down. If you're not, write it down. Stop dying. You could make a choice today. Just to just choose. I, I'm not going to die anymore. I'm not going to be part of this. I, I'm just going to choose. Today is going to be my day. I'm going to allow God to step into my life, which is currently headed from life into death. I don't, I'm going to allow him to return it around and go from death into life. That's what you can decide to do today. In fact, C.S. Lewis in the Chronicles of Narnia talking about, about Easter, he said, Easter is death working backwards. See, Jesus is the only one who can flip the script of your life and turn it from death back into life. And actually, if I were to borrow a line from the great theologian, Missy Elliott, I think Jesus is the only one who can take your life, now flip it and reverse it. I don't even know what she's saying. I'm not in trouble. <laughs> all you have to do is give him your life. That's all it looks like, is give him your life, and he, and he can flip that script for you. I believe that. I've watched it happen in my own life, and I've watched it happen in countless people's lives. You say, well, Aaron, what's the catch? Well, Jesus gives us the catch. Here you go. Here's how you have that. Jesus said to her, I'm the resurrection and the life. This is John eleven twenty five. He who believes in me will live, 
even though he dies. He's talking about a physical death. So he said, hey, if you believe in me, you're going to live. That's an eternal thing. Even though you're going to die, that's a physical thing. And whoever lives and believes in me is never going to die, right? So there's that eternal part. He says, and here's the catch. Do you believe this? Do you believe this? That, that is the question Jesus asked. It's about belief. Here's the thing. That's all it takes. You don't have to join this church. You don't have to be more religious. In fact, here's the thing. God's not looking for perfection from you. A lot of people think that in order to get into a relationship with God, that you need to clean yourself up before you come to him. Listen, here, you can't get yourself clean enough. God's going to take care of that anyway. So just come to him in all your imperfections. People go, well, I got to quit cussing. I got to quit this. I got to stop that. I got to, you got this whole list of things that you got to do before you can come to Jesus. And that's not what God's asked for. He said, in all your imperfections, just come. Give him your life the way it is. In all of its ruin, in all of its mess, in all of your turmoil, just give him your life. That's what he wants. And that's available for you today. And many of you have experienced that. But I understand that God not only wants to save you, he wants to heal those places of brokenness. So the next choice you have to make after you choose to stop dying is to start rebuilding. Start rebuilding. That, that place in Isaiah 61 where he says, I'm here to bind up the brokenhearted. I'm here to proclaim freedom for the captive. Some of you all are bound in certain areas of your life and you need some freedom. Others of you, he said, release from darkness for the prisoners. That doesn't just mean that you're bound in jail. It means that it's dark. You couldn't even see to get your way out of a paper bag if you wanted to because it's so dark. He said, I'm going to bring you out of darkness. I'm going to show you the way out. Jesus said, I've, I've come to do this. But understand that while salvation is a moment, rebuilding is a process. And rebuilding takes time. The interesting thing is, is you'll find out if you spend some time here in this church, is that Sunday mornings aren't structured around here to change your life. It makes me sad to say that, that even though all this amazing preaching that you're hearing, it's not structured to change your life. <laughs> Hurts my feelings a little bit, but it's true. I, I could challenge each and every single one of you to start listing the most powerful messages you've ever heard that changed your life, and you might get to two or three. Some of you might get one. But I could also ask you, start naming some relationships with people that have impacted your life and changed your life, and you could have a really, really long list. Why? Because relationship has a stronger impact than a Sunday sermon. That's just the truth of it. And so if you look around this church, you're going to find people, people's lives who have completely been changed that had nothing to do with the Sunday morning service. It's because they made a decision to join this church on a journey. See, our church, our systems, our, 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 our um, programming that we have available here, most of it doesn't have to do with Sunday morning service. It has to do with our small groups, our groups of people that gather together. And they can gather together around anything that they want to, whether they like playing card games or they want to read their Bible or read a book or they want to go serve someplace, they gather together. But they gather together and they form relationships because relationships, hear me, relationships are the things that make an impact in your life. I know there are those of you that are here today that are like, man, me and Jesus are cool, but I ain't going to church. I don't need it. Yes, you do, because you need to get in relationship with his followers. You need an opportunity to do that. That's why we have our grow groups. That's why we have growth track as well to help you get plugged into this church here. And by the way, you don't have to choose this church, but you do need to go to a church. You need to get connected. Do whatever they do. 
Be connected to God's people. Because what happens is, as you get connected to them, you get into a place where you can take the mask off because almost every single one of us live with a mask on. We're hiding behind our shame. We're hiding behind the reality of our lives and we're hurting inside. And if you just get into relationship with people and you understand it's a safe place where you can say, hey, I'm a little messed up, you're gonna find somebody that's gonna look across the table at you and say, me too, buddy, welcome to the party. We're all messed up. In fact, everybody in this place is messed up. You're welcome. Say, man, I came to church to be encouraged on a Sunday morning, especially Easter. And that pastor told me I was messed up. Yep, you messed up. I'm messed up. We're all messed up. But you get into a group and you find a place where you can be authentic, a place where you can know people and be known by other people, a place where you can be real and you find healing. You find an opportunity to settle some of your yesterday. See, that's the journey. That's the invitation. It's a process. And you need to join us. In fact, here's what I'm asking from you. I'm asking you to join us on that journey. And I'm asking you, and I know this is a big ask, but I got a big promise attached to it. I'm asking you to give us a year of your life. If you'll give us a year of your life and you'll join us and you'll do whatever it is that we do, Sunday mornings, you'll do growth track, you'll join a group, you'll walk with us, I promise you, I promise you, at the end of a year, God will have changed your life. If you want to see your life rebuilt, this is the process. And we promise you that. In fact, I had somebody this past week who took the challenge almost a year ago a little over a year ago, and it showed up in their Facebook memories. They'd taken the Simple Church Challenge one year, showed up in their memories, and they reposted it and tagged me and said, no regrets. And I'm like, come on, Jesus, that's awesome. I love that. I love that. Their lives have been changed, and God wants to use you to love and serve the people around you to make a difference in their lives, and that's the journey. We're asking you to come on. If you'll join us, watch how God will turn your life around if you'll start rebuilding. Because understand the grace of God is not just here to save you. Grace will meet you where you are, but it will never leave you where it found you. It wants to take you on a journey of healing, of rebuilding, but he doesn't want to stop there. See, God's not just trying to take people's lives that are, whose morals are, are ruined, their marriage is ruined, their mind is ruined, their finances are a mess, their opportunities are lost. He's not just trying to take them and get them saved. He's trying to take them on a journey where he rebuilds their lives and makes something beautiful again. That's what God wants to do. And the problem is many of you don't believe that today. You, you just simply don't believe it. So I'm gonna ask you to stop dying. I'm gonna ask you to start rebuilding. And then I'm gonna ask you to stop doubting. Just stop doubting, man. Jesus said in, in Isaiah 61, when he, when he was reading this, he said, they'll be called oaks of righteousness. That's what God wants to turn you into. Something when people see it, they look at your life and they go, no way. There's no way. I knew them. I knew that girl. I knew them when. I was pretty sure their marriage was done for. There's no way. They were broke and living in a box on the side of the street. Like, I'm just saying, God wants to take your life and turn it into something that when people see it, they know there's no way you could have done it, that he alone could have done it, something that he gets glory for. That's what he wants. He wants to turn your life into something beautiful. That's what happened for me. I knew from a very young age that God had called me to ministry. I wasn't sure how that was going to play out, but I knew he had called me to that. But somewhere in my 20s, early on, I walked away from God. I wound up getting bankrupt, having cars repossessed. I wound up getting married and divorced within a year. I wound up with a, with a nasty addiction as well. I wound up angry and bitter at God's church. I was struggling, 
And in 2010, my buddy Rocco, who's sitting right here, invited me to a church in Pickerington, C3 Church. And we went, and I kept going. And God got a hold of my heart and turned my life around. He, I had that moment. And then, and then I, I started joining their groups, and God starts rebuilding my life. And then the next thing I know is God is rebuilding my life. My pastor sits down with me and has coffee and says, Aaron, he says, do you, do you feel like God's got a call on your life to be a pastor? And do you know how I responded? Like this. Yeah. I respond the way so many of you respond whenever God puts his hand on your life and says, I've got something for you to do. You hang your head in shame because you know what you've done. You know the things that you've done. You know the hurts that you've caused. You know the life that you came from. You know the things that you said and the thoughts that you thought. And when God wants to do something and you go, ah, I'm not sure about me. And when I talked to my pastor, I told him that. He said, listen, he said, just let's go some baby steps. I believe God's got a call in your life. He said, let's just take some baby steps. So I started taking some baby steps. I started letting go of my doubt. And I started taking some baby steps towards what God had for me. And a year and a half later, we're announcing that we were planting a church. Now listen, I don't tell you that story so that you can look at me and say, Aaron, you're just so amazing. That's not, that's not why I'm telling you that. I'm telling you because we serve a great God who can take a life that is ruined and make it beautiful and useful again. That's why I want you to know that. I want you to know that you too can have that. God has something for you to do as well. He wants to do that in your life, but you need to quit doubting today because God sees greatness in you that you cannot see for yourself. He sees that in you. Let him show it to you. As the pastor of this church, man, I want you saved. I want you healed. I want you to discover that God has something for you. So stop dying. Start rebuilding. Stop doubting. And once you do those three things, here's what's amazing. And this is the part that you're going to love. This is the part that I guarantee you, you will not be able to wait to do. You can start living. In Isaiah, it says this, they'll rebuild, rebuild the ancient ruins, restore the place long devastated. They'll renew the ruined cities that have been devastated for generations. He said, hey, listen, there's something for you to do. There's something that I want you for you to do that when you do it, it's gonna make a difference in somebody else's life. What's real living? It's when you do that. Because I promise you, on the day that you take all of your brokenness, surrender it to God. He turns it into something beautiful. He takes your mess and makes it your message and uses it to make a difference in someone else's life. I promise you, in every single day that you allow God to use your life in that way is a day that you will lay your your head down on your pillow. You will feel full and fulfilled knowing that you have accomplished something incredible. That's the life Jesus promised us. He said, I came to give life and life more abundantly, a full and fulfilled life. He said, I want you to have a full life, but I want you to be on mission helping other people. That's where you'll find fulfillment. And that's what God has for you today. That's what real living is. That wherever there's ruin, you are part of bringing life and hope. And so here's what I'm going to do. I'm just going to close with a, with a brief thought because I think, unfortunately, religion is telling people the wrong information. I think that if you ask people about their experiences in churches, they're going to tell you, well, I went there, and that preacher got all red-faced and sweaty, and, and he shouted and told me Jesus loved me, but he, he kind of sounded mean about it, told me I was a sinner and that I should, I should feel bad about myself, and... And, and all that might be true. 
In fact, I know that, that death, hell, and the grave, and, and heaven, and sin, and forgiveness, all of that is a reality. But that's not the end of the story. It's also not the point. See, Jesus didn't come to make bad people good. He came to make dead people alive. That's why he came. That's what he wants to do in your life. He wants to take all of your brokenness and all the ruins of your life and have them come back to life. So I'm gonna ask each of you to make a decision today. And I don't want you to stress, you don't need to raise your hand or come to the front or stand up or anything like that. I'm simply asking you, would, would you be willing to do like a spiritual survey right where you're at? It's just for you. It's not for me, for your neighbor. It's for you. I'm gonna list off a couple places where you possibly might be. And I just want you to decide for yourself because I think it's important. I think we live very distracted and busy lives. And I don't think we very often think about our spiritual life. Today's Easter. And we're thinking about it. So I'm asking you to make a decision. Where are you at in this? The first, the first place that you might be is you say, Aaron, I'm already in a relationship with Jesus. And he's rebuilding my life. I think that's awesome. And I want to encourage you that is, if that's you, and you're walking out those steps, can keep going. Being a follower of Jesus is a life of continuing to say yes. Second person you might be is somebody that says, well, I'm beginning a real relationship with Jesus today. And if that's you, in a moment, I'm going to pray a prayer, and you can join in on that prayer. Today is the day that everything changes for you. It's an exciting day, and I can't wait to pray with you. The third place some of you might be is you would say, well, here's the thing. I'd like to consider it a little bit more first. I'd like to think about it. And you know what? I'm going to tell you that's okay. I think you, at least knowing where you're at, that you're considering it. It means you're not opposed. You're just like, oh, I want to hear a little more. I want to see a little more. Like I used to go to church and I maybe had a bad experience, but this seems and feels different. God's doing something in my heart. But I'm not sure yet. I'm not ready to make a decision. That's okay. Can I, can I just say this? It's okay for you to belong here before you believe. That means there's no pressure for you to do anything. We want you to continue to come, to hear how much God loves you, and then at some point in time you're ready to make a decision, we'll celebrate that with you. But you can belong before you believe, which means that you can attend, means that you can serve, you can be a part of what we're doing. Fourth place is simply this. You making a statement of, Aaron, you know, I don't ever intend to make that decision for Jesus. This is not something I'm going to do. And that's okay. You're one of my favorite kind of people. Do you know why? Because I know how God works. And if that's where you're at today, just know that's okay. I had a guy that I sat with. His name was Ben. His wife drug him to church every Sunday. But something happened. Ben said, you know what, Aaron? He said, what you're talking about, this Jesus guy, he said, I don't believe he's the son of God. He said, but he had some good things to say. In fact, he said, when I apply him to my life at work, he said, everything changes from my work week. He said, when I apply him at home, he said, my, my marriage is changing. He said, I, I like what you're having to say, but I don't believe he was God. I believe he was just a good teacher. He said, are you okay if I keep coming to your church? I said, Ben, I'd be happy to have you in my church. Ben can belong before he believes, and so can you. If you're in that place, you say, I'm never going to believe. That's okay. I'm going to pray for you, even though you might not want me to. We are going to pray for you. We're going to love you. We're going to serve you. 
because we know how God works. And so here's what I'm going to ask. I want you to make a decision. Where are you at in those four things? Can we throw them back up there again? And I'm going to give you about 15 seconds. Make a decision where you're at. And once you've decided, I'm just going to ask you to bow your heads. And once everybody's bowed their heads, I'll close in prayer. Make your decision and bow your head. Father, right now I know that there's plenty of people in what we call a valley of decision. Lord, I pray in this moment that you would just draw us to you. Touch each and every single one of our hearts. No matter where we're at, no matter what we've decided, what place we're in, I know that each and every one of us can know you more, know you better, experience your power in our lives. And I just pray that each and every single one of us would. I pray for those that are already in relationship with you, Lord, as they continue to say yes and take those steps. Father, bless them. Continue to rebuild their lives. Turn their lives into something that you can use for your glory to make a difference in other people's lives. But ultimately, God, draw us closer to you, closer than we ever were before. Now, if you're here today and you say, Aaron, I'm ready to begin my relationship with Jesus, Keep your heads bowed and your eyes closed. I'm going to give you the words to pray. And you can pray them in your heart, but the, the most important thing is that you believe them. You're also welcome to pray them out loud too if you, can, if you need to do that. But here's the words. If that's you and you're making a decision for Jesus today, say, Jesus, I need you. I give you my life. Heal me. Change me and use me. Take my ruins and make them come alive. Let your life be mine from this day forward. Thank you, Jesus. Come on, church, can we celebrate with those that have said,